This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. It, it, it certainly did. It felt terrible. <laughs> uh, it was great drafting those guys and being on the feature draft. When I sat down at the draft pod and I look around and I'm the only guy who hasn't won a pro tour at the table. <laughs> Welcome to the A-Team Podcast, brought to your ears by ManorDeprived.com, home of Canadian magic. In 2010, a crack magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mines they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-Team. KYT. Anything that costs a shit ton of mana, you're just like, bang! And they're like, fuck! How does that go? Bang! Fuck! <laughs> J. Boosh. And that's like the hyper angle. I never want to play in another GP again. I, wanna, <laughs> I never, ever want to play in another GP. Jeremy. And you're the reason I play Magic today. I'm like, I just like, I die. I died. I was like, like just melting on the inside like that. I have inspired this kid to play magic. And Matt. So I'm having this conversation with this guy in Chile about my deck. And then I'm getting pizza from a guy in Canada. It's like, magic is fucking weird. And now, the A-Team. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 295 of the A-Team podcast. This is KYT. Again, this time no joke, I'm alone. Um, well, the lone representative of the A-Team. The guys are on either vacation or busy with other stuff, and I think Jared still has to return from good old Portugal, so hopefully the guys will be back next week. Um, I didn't do a lot of magic this past weekend. I went camping for the first time. Had uh, Despite the, all the mosquito bites, it, w- it was a pretty pleasant experience. Um, but uh, for this episode, thank goodness that we got basically honorary A-team member right now, the, the fifth member, Robert Lombardi. How's it going, Robert? Hey, KYT, life is good. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just getting like, you're getting so big, I'm getting messages from random A-team fans telling me, hey, <laughs> Robert's won another tournament, please have him on again. And I'm like, who the hell are you? Like, what the fuck? Or check this out. Robert's on this other podcast being interviewed by a Ryan Seacrest clone. I'm like, what? <laughs> What's going on? So things have been going well. I mean, they've stayed, you've stayed on a heater. We, we've always said that you, maybe you have to keep doing well at tournaments to keep coming back on the show, but you keep doing well. Yeah, I mean, my main vo- motivator is coming back on the show. So that's what really keeps me up at night and, and driving me forward. <laughs> I mean, I'm loving it sometimes. I don't know uh, if my decision was to turn the show or for me to do a show that's more mainstream and, and no swearing. But then I would listen to some of my favorite like popular podcasts when it comes to poker or daily fantasy sports. And they honestly don't give a fuck and they're really <laughs> mainstream. So I'm going to keep it edgy here. Um, so what did you do? What did you win? Uh, yeah. So I played in a preliminary PTQ on uh, Saturday at a local shop and uh, the format was modern, obviously. And the turnout was like 61 or 62 players or something like that. So 
it was a pretty big turnout for for Hamilton, anyways. Um, and I ended up playing uh, Suicide Zoo. Ooh, what what uh, led to that decision? And did you even give Dredge a try since we <laughs> brought it on the show with you? Yeah. So some another one of my friends uh, was was kind of testing Dredge and uh, didn't really like it. I guess in, maybe <laughs> in, in the current meta, like because you know it was kind of the the bell of the ball or whatever for a week or so. Um, and everyone was kind of getting wise to it being a powerful deck. And then it had like no good showing at all. Um, at the three GP, like modern three GP weekend. that was like what, two weeks ago or something, three weeks ago, something like that. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I decided that I was going to kind of stay away from it. Uh, cause people seemed, you know, to, to know how to hate it out or, uh, didn't seem like it was performing well, anyways, and I didn't really have a lot of time to test, so I needed to pick a deck that I thought was uh, still good in you know what I thought people were going to bring. So I did exactly one night of testing. <laughs> I got got together with my locals, and uh, I just kind of looked through the the three top eights and the kind of metagame percentages. And Suicide Zoo looked like it had um, a pretty good like metagame like uh, percentage of decks in the tournament. Versus like uh, powerful like good showings at the end of the tournament, okay. so I, I kind of I I, uh, I knew someone that had it, so I borrowed it from them and uh, took it for a spin, and I was like, oh, this deck's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so you took you looked at the best, uh, basically the best performing deck with the reasonable sample size. Is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I think it put um at least one copy into the top eight or top sixteen of each GP, so that was definitely like a good indicator. Um, and there, it looked like there was some, like, you know, two or three flex spots to play with in the main deck. So people kind of haven't really got it uh, exactly how, you know, how they want it yet. There's still some discrepancies among how best to build it. So, yeah, I took it for a spin against, like, Scapeshift, Infect, Affinity, and Mono Red uh, in, like, our testing night. And I just, like, demolished, like, all four of those decks. It was, like, not <laughs> not even close. Like, I didn't drop a match. I was like, okay, this... This seems okay. Like, I, mean, I think we're good to to try this. So then I I took it to like a modern FNM, played against uh, like a bunch of you know random decks. I, I played against um, Mendoza's Red Green. Uh, oh man, it's everywhere. Deck. Yeah, that shit's popular in Hamilton. People fucking love that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it ha- has like a pretty poor matchup against Zoo, so I'm not really uh, worried about it. Um. I, I realized that I have a bad matchup against, or that the deck rather has a bad matchup against Banteldrazi, but not a lot of people were playing it in the city, so I I kind of like hedged my bets and added a few more dismembers on the board in case I run up against it. But I was kind of uh, I was willing to lose that that match if if I happen to face it in the top eight. So you play a pretty stock list. I, I guess it hasn't really changed much since. Sam Black put it on the map. Did you have Ranger of Eos or not? The the original version without. No, yeah, my list was like pretty clean. Um, I made a few important changes from kind of what people were running at the GP. So those like some decks were playing. I saw a deck that was a very interesting build. I was playing Narwhal Dryad. I wasn't willing to go that deep just yet. <laughs> and then I saw right. the other lists were playing like three three step links. And then like a Tarmogoy from the board or something like that. So I uh, I kind of cut a, I cut a step links and moved the Tarmogoy to the main because I thought that you know it kind of made sense given the the different you know types you put into the graveyard and the deck plays Thoughtseize and stuff. So 
I figured, yeah, this could pretty reasonably be like a two mana four five or five six easily. So it's you know you don't want a lot of two drops in the deck because uh, it runs a very low land count. But I was willing to kind of move that free up that sideboard slot and bring it into the main deck and cut a step links, which I think was kind of like underperforming for me anyways. Um, and then all the lists were playing two bolt, and I like really struggled trying to understand why the fuck that deck wants two lightning bolts. Uh, and I like, I just couldn't get there. Like I was thinking about every matchup. I'm like, do you want it against Infect? I'm like, no, you're kind of faster than them. And like, they don't really give, like, they could give two shits if you have one bolt or whatever, right? Like Infect can beat one bolt. They can't beat like, you know, two bolts and a dispel. That, that's what gives them a problem, right? So th- right. that's not really worth it. Like Affinity doesn't really give a fuck if you have a bolt. Um, it's like okay in the mirror, kind of. Like you can kill a Nakatl if they don't have a mutagenic growth. But they're, they're like, you know, very e- easily willing to trade two life and saving their, their wild Nakatl for your, you know, for your turn. Uh, so I was like, yeah, like what is this card good against? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I came up with nothing and decided to... Um, to <laughs> I, came up with, I, thought that, I thought this was leading somewhere. No, but... <laughs> no, no, I mean, I came up with no reason to play the bolt. So oh, I just, okay, okay. I cut it. And I put in two Apostles Blessing. Um, I think the card is is definitely, like, what you want. It, like, goes... Uh, it benefits from, like, your entire game plan, right? So you can pay two life, which is good, and it's one mana. Um, and it gives your creature protection from, you know, artifacts or uh, a color, which is very good. So it's good against Affinity, since it makes your guy unblockable. And it's, like, good against all those, like, Pass, Abrupt Decay, Terminate. And you know the rest of the nonsense that uh, that the control decks are running. So it was definitely the determining factor for me winning almost every match uh, throughout the tournament. So I was very glad that I made that change. The card oh, is that one change. Yeah, I mean, well, it, every time like they just have the path right for your for your like twenty twenty or whatever, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'll counter it basically, right? Um, and the deck doesn't really have a good way to do that main deck, so that. You know, they hold up two mana uh, and don't play a creature because they want to cast Abrupt Decay, and you just, like, go all in on a Become Immense, and they, you know, they try to Abrupt Decay, and you just counter it with Apostle's Blessing, and they're just, you know, they're just dead. So, uh, so yeah, it was, it was sweet. And Bolt, like, every time, like, if I just think about those scenarios where I cast Apostle's Blessing, would have been, like, just completely useless. Hmm. So, yeah, I was, well, I was impressed with, uh, with Apostle's Blessing. I'm glad. I think the, the only... Um, reason that, that it would remain in the deck was that uh, it's an instant, a cheap instant that you can cast and, and you've replaced it with another instant to add to the whole um, to make sure your delirium math or whatever is optimal and I'm glad you brought up the whole dismember thing also because one of my issues was like I lost uh, one of my first PPTQs with the deck my only with the original version was against Ban Aldrazi and I just couldn't kill a Thought Knights here and Sam Black's version had a random Lightning Helix in, in the sideboard, yeah. which uh, people make fun of because it's like, when do you ever want to gain life, actually? So um, pretty pretty rare that you want to, possibly in the Mono Red matchup. But uh, yeah, not just having like, I think it, it may have, maybe it had one dismember, I don't remember, to kill a Thought Knot Seer. So that was a, a pretty big issue with the deck. I subsequently tried the LSV um, Raptor version, the Narwood Drive that you mentioned, yeah. that was kind of, kind of funky. Like I, I liked, uh, I talked about on the show how I liked the flame sashes in the sideboard. That was, I felt that type of card was just missing in the archetype overall. So I would lean towards playing like 
two or three copies of Dismember or Flame Slash. Um, any anything exciting happened throughout the uh, tournament itself? Any scumbag stories? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I I put one of my opponents like on severe tilt, <laughs> in, like round <laughs> round two or three. Oh. Uh, I didn't okay. I didn't do it on purpose, obviously. Um, it it'd be good for Jeremy to hear so he could tell me like, you know, how I'm gonna get a a game roll violation or whatever from wizards <laughs> on the ban list. But um, yeah, so he was playing Affinity. And we were in game three, I guess. Yeah, he he took game one. I like put myself to nine on turn one and cast a Death Shadow, uh, and he just like followed up by like cranial plating his Vault Scourge and and then basically putting me at at two. And I just like couldn't get through for enough damage to kill him because I needed to be able to like fetch on tap shock on my turn to cast Team <laughs> Battle Rage and I couldn't. So I just like okay. kind of missed him dumping his hand with the cranial plating. So I, I took an easy game two and then we're in game three. And I have, um, I think, like, Nakadal uh, and uh, Monastery Swiss Spear in play. And he has, like, an Ornithopter or something that he can block with. And he's, like, attacked me with Edge Champion or whatever. So I start my turn by probing him. And I see he has Galvanic Blast. And uh, he has, like, a Mox Hope or whatever to pay for it. And he has Metalcraft. So now I need to, like, get my... Monastery Swift Spear, like, over that 4-5, to, to a 4-5, right? So that he can't blow me out. So right. now it's a 2-3. I have two Street Race in my hand. I have a Become Immense. I have, like, a Fetch Land in play. And I have a Teamer Battle Rage. So I have everything I need to, like, win. I just, like, need him to misplay his Galvanic Blast. So I'm hoping to kind of get him with... um with Teamer Battle Rage. So I, I attack first. Uh, he blocks. I target my, like the Monastery Sisbury with Teamer Battle Rage and put the prowess trigger on the stack. Like I'm, I'm very clear about the action. So I'm, I'm almost talking in the same way that I'm talking to you now about how explicit I was with what was going on with the stack uh, to my opponent. So I'm like, you know, prowess trigger on the stack, Teamer Battle Rage. He's like, yep. I'm like, prowess trigger resolves. He's like, yep, and he has like a die that he's like putting on my monastery Swiss spear to note like I, I kinda hate when people do this because like doesn't have plus one plus one counters, but he wants to like note how many prowess triggers have one off or whatever. So he okay. like he moves it to two. I'm like, okay. And he's like, well, it's not gonna get trampled. And I'm like, well, I'm not done yet. <laughs> I was like, with Teamer Battle Rage still in the stack, I'll I'll like delve five and cast become immense, prowess trigger on the stack. And he's like, okay, I have a response. And I'm like, okay, well, do you want to respond to the prowess trigger? Or do you want to respond to the become immense? And he's like, uh, I want to respond to the become immense. I'm like, okay, so is the prowess trigger resolved then? And he's like, yeah. And he moves the die to three. And I was like, okay, fantastic, right? <laughs> I was like, my guy's a four or five now. Uh, like, go ahead and Galvanic Blast. So he goes to Galvanic Blast, and I'm like, yeah, he's going to be a four or five. And so he kind of complains about not understanding the difference between like the order that things go on the stack and like, you know, all that kind of confusion. Right. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Like just call a judge and, and he'll clear it up for you. So the judge comes over and he's like, you know, what happened? So I explained from my point, like from where the, the become immense is being cast. And the guy's like, well, I was confused before that. So he kind of like backs up to the beginning and like explains, you know, kind of shortcuts through it and is like, yeah, I didn't understand what happened here. I didn't understand what happened here. So the, the judge goes, okay, yeah, like it's clearly just, you know, a miscommunication. 
in like how the triggers are stacked or whatever. So like, I'll give you a warning, but like we can back up. And I was like, whoa, you know, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, I thought I don't, I thought you were pretty clear. Yeah. So I mean, but when my opponent explained it, he didn't explain like because he doesn't know how the stack works, right? So he didn't right. explain like all of the things that I said to him because <laughs> he obviously wasn't like getting it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So right, right. I go to the judge. I go, okay, well hold on, like, he didn't really explain it right. I'm like, I can prove that he knows how the triggers work because I explained it to him when I cast Teamer Battle Rage, right? So I explained, like, I cast Teamer Battle Rage, I put the prowess trigger on the stack, he resolved the prowess trigger, or I resolved the prowess trigger, or he let me resolve it or whatever, and he, like, moved the die up, you know? So he knows that Teamer Battle Rage is on the stack and the prowess trigger is resolved. So there's no way for him to, like, think that that's not going to happen again with the Become Immense. Like, I just fucking showed you how it works (laughs) so uh so then the judge is like okay is that what happened and the guy's like well yeah he's like okay never mind then like you know we can't back up obviously like you know you clearly should have known how it worked he just demonstrated it to you so the guys the guy's like well what the fuck like i'm gonna lose (laughs) i'm like yeah like i I don't know what you want me to do about that right (laughs) so the judge is like yeah like you know that's just the ruling and and so the guy's like, oh, fine, I guess. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Good games, right? And the guy's like, yeah, well, you know, it's a good game if, if that's how you want to win. And I was like, I don't understand, you know, what you mean by that comment. He's like, well, like, if you want to be cheap and cheat like that and, like, you know, take cheap wins, then, you know, that, that's, you know, that's what you want to do to win this tournament, then I'm fine with that. And I was like, it's not really a cheap win. Like, I was, you know, I was clear to you, right? He's like, yeah, but, you know, if you want to be cheap and win like that, then, then that's fine. That's fine. And so the whole tournament, he's just, like, walking around to random people, telling everyone I'm a fucking scumbag, and how I, like, wow. cheated him out of this win. I was like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> wow. I, I feel like this is not a scumbag story. I feel like if I'm in his shoes and this happened, this interaction happened between me and you, I would feel like I fucked up. Like, I let... Like, especially when... Man, the... I mean, the part that really... S- kills it is him turning the die and acknowledging that like the original <laughs> yeah, yeah. prowess trigger resolved yeah. and knowing exactly what the power is so i mean i i don't it know it wasn't an I exact think... scumbag story but he thought i was yeah. a scumbag yeah and he was, yeah he was vocalizing his thought that i was a scumbag to, <laughs> to a few people <laughs> so i thought i thought that was humorous anyways but like he also uh cited in graft digger's cage against me which i saw in game two so I think he thought I was on living, uh, living end. <laughs> I, I I guess a <laughs> common uh, mistake when you don't know the, the format. Uh, too well, well, I cast a death shadow on turn one though. Okay, but I saw, okay, like, three bad. street race or whatever. I guess so. Maybe I don't know. Maybe just thought it was confused about what I was doing. But like when I when I probed him on turn one in game two, and I saw like Grafdigger's cage, Grafdigger's cage, and like one land, and then a bunch of nothing. So like he clearly kept like one land, multiple graph diggers cage. Like I'm good here. Um, <laughs> I was like, okay, like there's just there's, I can't lose this match. Like I there's fucking no way I can lose this match. Uh, he has like <laughs> multiple dead cards in his deck, and I'm not even sure that graph diggers cage works against living in. So um, there's, there's uh, it doesn't. <laughs> I, I think it doesn't. Or um, I, I'd have to read it. I, I just know that cage is one of those cards that uh, has been brought in like incorrectly all the time uh because they, they just assume oh it stops this sort of uh, graveyard interaction or whatever so um wow so the whole tournament went smoothly did you xo the whole thing yeah or so i went there some... i went 4-0 and then i double drew into top eight um i could have played 
the last round, obviously, for seeding. But the way my tiebreakers were, and the way like the other people's tiebreakers were that I was drawing with, it was very likely that I was going to be fourth, and the person I wanted to really play against first round was going to be fifth. So um, I was just like, okay, fine, I'll draw. I'll hope that they draw. Like, there's no reason for them to play it out either, the other EXO ones. So if they draw, I have, like, a very high chance to, like, play red-green-tron, play against red-green-tron in, like, the first round of top eight. Okay. So I'm like, yeah, this seems fine. <laughs> That's, like, kind of where I want to be. That matchup's, like, almost unlosable. And I'll, I'll like, uh, and, and, like, the people that were climbing from the bottom were most likely going to be, like, mono-red and Mardu control and stuff like that. So, like, didn't want to really be, like, top seed or second seed. I uh, kind of wanted to be, you know, fa- face them near the end or, like, let them get dunked out by someone else, which is what happened. So I kind of got lucky there. And so you just cruised through the top eight. Yeah, so I played against um, Jund round one. And the opponent had, like, kind of a slow start uh, where he was hedging on being able to cast Abrupt Decay on my early uh, Death Shadow. And I just I had the Apostle's Blessing. Uh, and the Battle Rage, and I just, like, uh, killed him. Uh, that happened two games in a row. <laughs> so it was, like, a turn three kill both games. So it was pretty um, pretty quick. Thoughtseize and Inquisition were, like, you know, pretty good in that matchup. I was able to, like, take his Thoughtseize, and then he wasn't really able to cast two removal spells in one turn. So, you know, that was easy. And then I played against um, kind of like a Kiki Chord deck, I guess, um, that was, like, Resto Kiki version, so Naya. Um, we went to three, uh, on the third game, his hand, like, just did nothing, and I just kind of, like, ran him over with a battle rage, and he didn't have, uh, he didn't have, like, any path or any interaction, so that was, uh, that was an easy win there as well, and then my Grixis opponent in the last round, um, game one was, like, a little bit back and forth, and I was able to get, like, a, a Death Shadow, make it stick, and just kind of, he didn't have a removal for it, and I, I kind of got him, and in game two, he kept, uh, a one-lander on the play with two Serum Visions, he Serum Visions didn't draw a land and then bottom two cards. And I like sat for a while thinking like whether or not I should jam a Wild Nacatl or a Thought Seize him on turn one. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, he bottom bottom, so he must be looking for something. It's like maybe he's looking for a land. So I it, I forget if it was Inquisition or Thought Seize, but I turn I decided to do that on turn one uh, instead of casting a creature. And he just had like a bunch of nothing, no other lands, and then one Serum Visions. And I was like, uh, yeah, I guess I'll just take the Serum Visions and hope you don't draw land. And then, yeah, he just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I cast like a Wild Nacatl and like a Hooting Mandrills the next turn, and that, that was pretty much game from there. All right, all right. So are you, are you feeling pretty good about this deck uh, heading to the WMCQ or, or a lot more testing is needed? Yeah, we're going to do um, like a more in-depth testing session this weekend. Uh, and kind of just, like, run some eight-man tournaments and see which archetypes float to the top consistently. Or, like, hopefully something does. Um, but, you know, if nothing does, then I'll just play whatever deck I, I guess I, I feel like I can play the best. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I definitely need more testing. I need to make sure that I can beat Obzon. I didn't really get to play against that. Because uh, they have, like, you know, they have Path, and Path is definitely better than Terminate. Um, and then... I need to figure yeah. out if I can actually beat Bantel Drazi or if it's just like a fucking winless uh, match. <laughs> four fours are tough, man. Four fours are fucking yeah, tough. Yeah, Thought Nuts here is fucking 
very annoying. <laughs> but I mean, I, I played Blue White Eldrazi for a little while, so I guess I'm, you know, whatever. The universe is just getting me back for for punishing people when it was, uh, you know, a broken deck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna play uh, Zoo at the WMCQ. We'll see kind of how the testing goes on the weekend. I also definitely want to test like the new amulet. Uh, I don't know, amulet explorer, I guess, or whatever the fuck they want to call it. Uh, Dex amulet titan. Um, that like kind of Matt Nass was playing uh, to like a ninth place finish, I think, and see okay. see how good that is. I've like goldfished it and played it like uh, loosely with uh, a couple people. Um, and I had reasonable results, and other people I know that are good have been playing it online to good uh, to good results. So if that deck's good, I'll probably end up switching to it since I know that archetype very very well because I played it in modern for like a, a year before it got banned. So I'm very happy to go back. Hmm, okay, um, I've got like two quick questions on your opinion on, on Suicide Zoo. Um, throughout the tournament and your FNM and all the all through the testing. Have you? Uh, what's your opinion on on sketchy uh, opening hands? Are you more <laughs> aggressive in in keeping them because this deck, uh, unlike other decks, I guess in a way requires. I mean, you want that extra card, even if it's random. If it's like a street rate that adds to the creature count, um, that adds to the fact that you can reduce your life by two, which may or may not be important. Even that like fetch land, so that one additional card always seems super important. So are you, how aggressively or not aggressively are you mulliganing with this deck, you feel? So I'll keep almost any hand. (laughs) There's some some stipulation to the end of that. I'll keep almost any hand with a creature that I can cast on turn one. Um, If there's no creatures, I'm like way more likely to mulligan, almost 100%, unless I have like, you know, the full combo set up. Like where I have Teamer, Teamer Battle Rage and Become Immense, or I have like multiple, uh, multiple cycling cards. Like if I have two probes and a Street Wraith, uh, and you know I don't have any other cards aren't all four lands. Um, I'm you know probably gonna keep that as well. I just might you know <laughs> fetch a little bit first before I start just dumping them all into the bin looking for something. But yeah, I agree. Like that hand, the deck does produce some real fucked up hands. Where you're just like, okay, so three lands. Two probes, a bobble, and a street wraith. Is this good? Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's just it's it's not. It doesn't look good, and it's and it's a, uh, a hand that I would snap mole with any type of deck. But then you're like, well, I have artifact, sorcery, creature here, and land mm-hmm. probably yeah. with a fetch land. It's like, uh So there are those type of hands, and I don't know if you had a chance to watch or read any articles on the deck. Uh, basically, when Sam Black talked about the deck. And I don't know how, how many situations that you ran into with this version where he would prefer to seek out information over pumping, uh, using those spells to pump his Swiss spear. So he'd rather um, play stuff like Probe or Street Wraith. Well, Street Wraith doesn't count, but Probe and Mishra's Bobble first if he needs information about the perfect mana he needs to play on turn two to sequence his lands before even playing Swiss Spear, or he would do, like, uh, fetch, like, use a fetch land and a bobble, and if he has a cantrip, then he'll do that, that sequence, before even playing the Swiss Spear. What's your take on it, or or if you've even heard about yeah, this? Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I didn't know that when I first started playing the deck, but I, I came to that realization quickly after, like, you know, trying to maximize value on Swiss Spear, 
and then ending up with like a fucking stomping ground uh and then you know not really wanting to fetch like what i need to fetch next turn or like being able to go down to like eight life or whatever and then not you know having a fucking stomping ground in play and really wanting to cast cast death shadow mm-hmm. so yeah i think that in general like that you know, whatever that one, two, three damage you do on turn one is almost completely insignificant uh, for the deck. Yeah. Like I routinely kill people and they're at like, you know, negative 15 when the game's over. Like it's usually, uh, you know, quite overkill. Like you have, you know, Death Shadow is going to be like an 8 8 or 7 7. You just become immense team or battle rage it and they're like, you know, taking 26. So it's not, uh, I agree with Sam. Uh, that that makes sense. You, you don't really, you definitely want to set up so that you're not behind a turn it's way more costly to be be behind a turn than to be down uh to extra damage sweet sweet glad to hear that um because that's that's how i started to play the deck as well now i'm gonna invite i'm gonna keep you on the call robert i made the cut (laughs) made the cut (laughs) so i'm super happy to have my friend uh dave schneer come on um it's been just a few weeks since he's been back from uh, PT Sydney. How's it going, Dave? It's going well, thanks, Claire. Um, I'm I'm excited to to have you here because um, I know you couldn't have felt this while you were on the other side of the world, but uh, at least at the face to face store or amongst the friends that uh, amongst the friends that we both know, we were definitely rooting for you, and and knowing that you were basically. You were working on your own and playing your own deck that I had so much faith in, and just we were all just fucking rooting for you for day one, and we were ecstatic when you were. Well, it ended up being like the draft. draft it looked like the draft pot of death, and uh, sadly, it ended up being that yeah, way. It certainly did. It felt terrible. <laughs> uh, it was great drafting those guys and being on the feature draft. Where I sat down at the draft pod and I look around and I'm the only guy who hasn't won a pro tour at the table. Um, I felt a little bit outclassed. Um, but I feel like maybe you have a great poker face. I generally, when I think of you, I think of someone that doesn't really get that easily rattled. But, but were you somewhat intimidated by basically the Hall of Fame uh, draft table? I mean, it was nice to be there. I wasn't particularly intimidated by it. But it was interesting because everybody else there had been in one of those feature match drafts. <laughs> so basically the guys that came up to explain things just looked around and said, okay, you guys all know the drill and didn't bother explaining anything. So I had to figure it out really fast on my own. <laughs> and I'm not a small oh. guy, so I hope he figured out that I wasn't there. I don't look like anybody on the Pro Tour, I don't think. This isn't like a Seagrist and uh, Brad Nelson issue, is it? <laughs> Um, so how, how let's let's just go right from the beginning. How did day one start for you? Um, it started with a draft, right? And and you did okay. Yeah, I, my first draft deck was very solid, and I went two uh, one with it, just losing in the finals of the draft, actually. Hmm. And then you went on to just run the table with your deck. I did. I went uh, undefeated in my standard portion on day one, putting me at X and one for day one, which was great. I probably should have actually lost my last round uh, when that feature when we got featured me against Nickman. At the end of the day, he looked super tilted because he punted three times that game to let me win there. 
Um, you had written an article for me on Matter Prime called Secure the Abbey. Uh, you had been playing this deck. You've been grinding PPTQs um, and finishing second a lot and then finally winning one. Even Robert, um, while we were trying to get you on the call, it's like, this guy looks fucking familiar. Is he from Toronto? No, he just, I'm just like, he just grinds a fuck ton. Um, you had written this article, and this was before the new set had come. Um, were, how did you feel about it? And what additions did you make to the deck, and how important were they? Um, the set came out, and a few things were obvious to me. One being that Spellcaller is going to be everywhere, and that made Painful Truths quite a bit worse, so I had to be careful about playing too many of those. I also noticed that the, reprint, the, the functionally reprinted Factor Fiction, and I had to play that in a control deck because Factor Fiction has always been great. <laughs> Were you, did you end up being basically the only one playing that card I, in the field? I think I was the only one playing the card. The guys from the Wizards team who had designed the card all came up and shook my hand and thanked me for playing their card. It was quite <laughs> interesting. Wow. And you even got a deck tech, and, and BDM was ecstatic about your deck. Yeah, yeah, I did get the deck tech. It was very fun to have the two minutes in spotlight. It would have been great if I had actually won more, one more round and cashed. But after going 0-3 in that draft, it was really hard to concentrate. I felt, though, I don't know, uh, us noobs back home were thinking that, looking at the field, and, and I think in your interview, it sounded like you were pretty happy uh, that your deck was, if you went 3-0 in the draft, that your deck was kind of well-positioned to to win out, I think. Oh, yeah, I played against that black-green deck that was all over the field, I think, six times and lost to it once. Uh, it, it, the matchup felt great. I think I lost. I, I actually punted that game. I don't remember the exact situation, but I feel like that game just got away from me where it should have been mine as well. Okay, so you went 0-3, and did you end up facing, like, Worst matchups on on the later part of your second day. No, round four I actually won against somebody who I don't know what they were doing, but the <laughs> I don't understand how they were at the same record as I was. It didn't make any sense. Although I was X four at that point, so maybe it made a bit of sense. <laughs> I then lost two rounds in a row to my own misplays. Okay, and that was hard to recover from. And then I went to up against um, uh, blanking on his name. Anyway, I went up against a guy I've played countless times at uh, every, like, basically every event we're both at. Uh, I play against this guy from Japan. I'm really blanking on his name now. I should know it. Okay. Anyway, and then I won my last round to miss money by four positions or something. Ugh. But I, I definitely like where my deck like where my deck was at for that tournament, and I definitely lost two rounds to my own misplays, which felt terrible, but it's part of the game. Hmm. And uh, is there anything that that you learn in your in your preparation that you would do differently for for the next one that I think you will indeed qualify eventually, uh, like soon, sometime soon? I think you've been crushing it locally. No, I hope I qualify for another one. I'm kind of glad I didn't qualify for Hawaii because having to explain to my boss that I needed more time off this year <laughs> would have been very difficult. <laughs> uh, but I hope to qualify again. Uh, moving forward, I hope that I have more people to test with. What actually happened for this one is that I qualified at the same time as a few other locals that I was going to hopefully prepare with. And we had like tentatively said we were going to prepare together. And then when they announced that you could just defer your invite to Hawaii, <laughs> everybody I knew who wasn't part of a pro team already deferred. Except for me. <laughs> um, but I, I just felt like 
for this tournament, especially since you've been crushing the standard format, it just seemed like, you know, you didn't, maybe this is the one time you didn't need a, a team as much and you came out with a great list. Yeah, I was thankful for that because I knew my deck was still solid and I was still going to be well positioned because nobody knew what was going on. And it's nice to play <laughs> against an unknown deck, even if it's published online. <laughs> uh, we, we, we had posted your deck. I had tried to spread it around the internet. I spread it on Reddit. And the comments on Reddit and the comments of the people watching your deck tech on Twitch were the same. Yeah. Like, they were just making fun infinite of the mana base. Yeah, the so... mana base on paper looks <laughs> atrocious. I agree with them. <laughs> but you play some games well, with the deck, and if you, as long as you know what your decision trees have to be to get your lands into play, it's really not an issue. I think I lost a, I lost a short once or twice in, in the Pro Tour. I never lost a color screw. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I wanted to get you on also to, uh, to mention that I, I had mentioned our discussion on, on a previous episode about how like we, we don't want, we feel we had that conversation at PPTQ at Menards where we said um, play test time can be you know, super time consuming. And you, you've decided to use these PPTQs as a means to just play test and, and have more efficient use of your time. Right. Oh uh, yeah. Play... PPTQs can be good for testing, but it's a hit or miss because some people in the field are just not as good as others, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way to I figured out the way to profit from PPTQs is to finish second. Winning PPTQs is a really terrible way to profit from PPTQs. <laughs> Robert, did you hear that? I I, I, uh, I completely agree. Actually, um, like, I, I, I did a price swap with with my opponent before the match started, where they were going to give like first five hundred and uh, second three fifty, and we we agreed to swap it so that the loser gets more just to uh, to help with the feel bads. Yeah, it's the field bads, and there's also a Snapcaster for showing up to the regionals. Yeah, you can't talk about that, though. That, that'll get you fucking DQ'd. Um, <laughs> I've never had an issue with a judge about that. Maybe your judges are just more stringent? Yeah, maybe, I don't know. Be we, we don't... Watch yourself. <laughs> uh, will do, will do. But yeah, the same thing. Like I was in the finals of a PPTQ last weekend. At first place, I think, was 200, and second place was 100. And we quickly swapped that around. Just for the for first place to be 100, second place for to be 200, and then I lost, and I was actually completely fine with that because I'll just play another one this weekend and probably finish second again. What were you playing <laughs> in modern? I am currently on uh, Nahiri Control. Like uh, the Jeskai yeah. version. The Jes- yeah, the Jeskai version. Fuck! I fucking hate that deck. <laughs> that deck is so much fun, and basically in every format where Crucible Worlds is legal, I have to be able to strip lock strip lock my opponents. Oh, you're playing Crucible? I'm playing Crucible. I'm playing one of my main and one of my side at the moment, and it's just fun. Because that's, with four paths and four <laughs> and those quarters, your opponents run out of basics really fast. Is is that the Schneer edition? Of course. But I, I've been oh. doing this in my legacy Miracles deck for years with Wasteland. It's actually better in modern with Ghost Quarter. <laughs> Interesting. Is there any other uh slight tweaks? Like uh, Robert we were talking to him about his he just won recently a uh PPTQ was Suicide Zoo, and he's replaced the Lightning Bolts with Apostle's Blessing. Any other cards that you, you're fucking around with? Are you talking to me or him? Yeah, yeah, yeah you, Dave. Um, fucking around with? Uh, not really. It's I, I can share my build with you after if you want to post it somewhere. It's pretty standard and straightforward. Maybe a few sideboard cards that were off. Like, I'm, I actually went back and 
decided not to run a single copy of Rest in Peace, even though I'm playing white, and put in uh, a Bribery, which I drew a bunch last weekend. And Bribery for your opponent's Eldrazi spells are just really good. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> um, so how many PPTQs have you played with this so far? Two of them? Yeah, only two of them. I was, I was prepping for the Pro Tour, and then I was in Australia until two weeks ago, so I didn't really have a chance to play until last weekend. I remember, like, you, you were saying, oh, uh, you, you were probably too tired to play the first one, and then uh, Blondin would tell me, no, no, Dave's playing this one. I'm like, what? <laughs> he just got back. Yeah, I got back, and I was exhausted. I actually submitted a deck list with, I think, six or seven issues on that deck list. <laughs> I realized in the middle of round two that I was actually missing some, a few cards in my deck. It, it was a mess. I was a mess. I probably should have slept in, but I couldn't sleep because of jet lag, so I decided to show up anyway. Hmm. Um, so what were the good or, or bad matchups for this deck? Like, what are you hoping, if you end up piling this list at the WMCQ, which which I assume you're going, what matchups are you hoping to get and what matchups are you hoping to avoid? Um, the deck is basically good against everything, and you, 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 <laughs> well, you can tweak your sideboard for everything that you want. Uh, with no rest in peace on my board, I want to avoid Dredge. I'm pretty sure it's a real deck, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose to it horribly if I do play against it. <laughs> But it's been flying under the radar so far. <laughs> right. And and the rest is just fine? Uh, yeah, it's a 50% deck, so as long as you can play better than your opponents and they don't nut-draw you, then you're pretty good. Okay, sweet, sweet. Um, uh, Robert, or, or Dave, uh, oh, Robert first, did you catch the uh, World Championships? The World Championships? Oh, did I catch it? Sorry. Uh, I watched a little bit of it. Um, it's like so inbred though that I don't really pay too much attention to what's going on in like in constructed. Like if you look at the the modern meta at the World Championships, I think like twelve out of twenty four decks were Obzon. <laughs> like, right, right. What the, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree completely. I looked at that meta breakdown. I was I was watching, and I'm like, this makes a lot of sense actually, but it makes no sense in the greater scheme of the game. If everybody switches to playing Obzon, I'm going to have to, I don't know, put some Isid Static Ashers on my sideboard, and that'll be it. Um, but, but do you think it will have an effect, or um, Dave, or like Modern, everyone's still going to play the, the pet deck they've been playing for a while, and, and the metagame as usual, like the top, like it, at the GP, they, saw, they showed the top uh, most popular deck was tops out at 11% in Affinity. Yeah, um, I think most people are going to stick to whatever decks they own, because there, I know there's a few people like myself who have massive collections, and I can basically build anything in Modern. But that's <laughs> not true for most people, and most people can't just say, okay, I'm going to switch decks, because the decks are all pretty expensive to build. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, is there any, any of the Modern lists that you saw from Worlds that, that sort of makes you want to try them, or, or you're curious about? Uh, no, not 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 at all. There was nothing remotely controlly, and I like play my control decks. Robert, I, I agree. All the decks were like pretty substandard. I feel like there was there's nothing like overly powerful. I think everyone just went in and they're like, I want a fifty percent deck. I just want to make sure I don't one three modern. That's kind of seemed to be like their their goal. Um, and so they all just coin flipped against each other. And then you have like, you know, someone like BBD who played Bant Eldrazi 
which is like just fucking great in a field full of like green black X decks, right? So, yeah. Um, I, I feel like his medic. I didn't really see like what he did in standard and how that matched up to to the metagame. But if he metagamed as well in standard as he did in modern, it's like really no surprise that he ended up taking it down. Yeah, I'm just looking at uh, the decks from the modern for for the world championship, and apparently the Valka red green deck actually got 12 points in modern by Oliver Chu. Yeah. Yeah. Followed by a Bantel Drazi at ten points and then a bunch of guys at nine points. So <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. Red yeah. green red green Valakut's gonna be also very good against green black X decks. Yeah, uh, the Valakut deck is kinda scary to play against because they can just draw bigger and faster than you and when you can't when any basic land they draw starts dealing you three damage, you're going to lose very quickly. Hmm. Yep. Also, I agree. It's the control yeah. killer. Yeah. There's also a dredge deck in that finished at nine points so now people have a list i don't like that <laughs> <laughs> um there's also um yeah you you played a funky well not a funky deck it's been known about but it was it was surprising to see him play uh Gorio's vengeance um i don't think he did really well though um Gorio's vengeance loses to itself half the time <laughs> I knew people who played it, and there were a couple of games where I literally just—I didn't—I was playing Tron at the time. I didn't do anything for the first four turns, and then they just like didn't do anything either. And the deck's supposed to be able to go off on turn one or two. <laughs> so, so when all he did was like turn three, play Blood Moon, I'm just like, okay, so I win this game? I don't understand what what just happened. <laughs> playing Tron. Oh, <laughs> uh, so what what do you expect, uh, Davey? Are you? metagaming, or do you expect the WMCQ in Toronto to be fairly varied? I'm going to expect it to be fairly varied like every modern event, which is a good and bad thing about modern. There's so many decks in the field that trying to metagame against it, unless you can like walk into a room like I did on Saturday morning, look around and figure out that nobody's playing a certain deck, there's just no <laughs> point. And I think at WMCQ, there's too many people in the room and too many good players that won't be having their deck out on the table to do that effectively. All right. Robert? Yeah, I I just really want to play, like, one of the top powerful decks um, just to make sure that my opponents, like, or I can try and put my opponent on the back foot uh, as much as possible. So stuff on my radar right now is the new Amulet Titan deck, Zoo, or Banteldrazi. I just... I feel like those three decks are doing things that are just a little bit above the curve than the rest of the format. Hmm. Sweet. Um, yeah, in in your entire tournament, Dave, was there any? Did everything go really well, or did there's no scum? Was there any scumbagging in your entire Pro Tour experience? <laughs> scumbagging? I I don't think I ran into any scumbagging, although I'm quite immune to it by now. <laughs> Like it takes a lot to tilt me, and I've been around for long enough. That I've seen every kind of scumbag and cheaty thing that could possibly happen. I know most of my opponents at the Pro Tour were actually very pleasant to play against, so I was lucky with that, I guess. Sweet, sweet. Um, right, we're just gonna wrap up the show, Dave. Anything you want to add? No, thanks for having me on, though. No, I'm I'm super glad to have you on. I think uh, it's. I mean, I'm. You just keep performing like these people keep 
not believing your mana base and you just every single chance you get you perform extremely well with that deck and it's just like well someone you know it's it, it likely performs way better on paper than it looks so really glad uh, that i got you on to be able to uh tell your story and uh thank you robert so much for being the uh, honorary fifth member yeah, and, thanks for uh, having me on you'll probably we'll probably get uh, hopefully maybe one of you on Due to winning the WMCQ, that would be great. So I call uh, dibs on that, I guess. <laughs> I'll see you in the finals. How's that? <laughs> Finish second again. So you're gonna play? You're gonna play Jeskai, right? Yes, I'm on Jeskai. Okay, I guess. Don't worry about it. I'm definitely on Jeskai. I guess I should play Bloom then, so that I can prepare for the finals. <laughs> okay. Alrighty. Thank you so much, guys, and we'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.